sex, drugs, and spirituality. I'm Sydney DeLorean, and I'm here with a new guest. I got some strange for you guys. Uh, what's up, Bailey Curry? Hi, I'm really happy to be here. I'm happy to have you here. I have known you via the internet for like forever. It's been like a year. Yeah, and now here we are in the same room. So I'm not going to name names about who complained about phone interviews, um, but you do live with that person. I do. So um, here I am doing an in, an IRL interview. You're welcome. <laughs> um, you're a listener of the show. Yes. Um, been since, let's see, I first discovered your guys' show when we moved into our new apartment. So that was last May. Okay. Because I was moving boxes and listening to the Nexium episode, and that's how I found you guys. Oh, yeah. We were on the front lines of uh, cracking that case open. Yeah, it really blew up afterwards. You should have gotten, like, more notoriety that way. Uh, it has been really good for our ratings. Oh, good. Every time that douchebag goes into a courtroom, uh, that episode gets another couple hundred listens. So those are really great weeks for us. Mm -hmm. um, that guy was in court the same week that the last John Wick movie came out. So between him and Keanu Reeves and I think our episode on Larry Nasser, that was a that was a banner week for our ratings. Um, and this one's going to go right down. <laughs> no, people are going to love it. I The weird thing about podcasts is, you know, 10 years ago, if you listen to a podcast, you listen to every single episode. Mm -hmm. And now there's so many options that sometimes you do, you'll see a guest and go, Oh, I don't know who they are or see a topic and go, oh, I don't know about that one. Um, and so it's harder to be like, no, even if you don't think you care about the topic, just listen, it's going to be a good time. Yeah. Um, we're doing a show about sustainability. You're a sustainability expert. Well, okay. I'm a sustainability advocate. I am a social worker. So if I'm an expert in anything, it's um, people. Okay. <laughs> um, and I guess sustainability works in what, you know, kind of what we're going to talk about in that people are responsible for sustainability and climate change and things like that. So I guess. Yeah, it involves, I guess, really creating real sustainability involves changing people's behaviors mm -hmm. and so um it does all play uh i just want to i like shouting out other podcasts people if you aren't listening to here we are with shane moss you should he's a comedian he interviews scientists from the universities in the cities where he's traveling doing comedy and he's done some really cool episodes with behavioral scientists on like how can we actually affect change in behavior across the board because uh america's weird we're like an individualistic culture mm -hmm. and i hate that because it's the the blame is always put on the individual whether it be uh you know if they're poor if they're unhealthy or whatever we blame that individual rather than what's the culture that's creating that mm -hmm. and i think we're doing that a little bit with uh the environment oh absolutely so, uh, yeah, it's always like, oh, no, I'm cool. It's the guy with the SUV who's bad. Yeah. Or like, I don't know. So, um, sorry, I'm an, I'm a dumb person that doesn't know how to, like, start with broad topics and narrow them down. Okay. Uh, <laughs> because, so the main thing is, like, we're, we're killing the environment, right? That's real. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, okay, so when, when we say we... Um, you've you've probably seen like 
an article or several articles talking about like the 100 companies that are responsible for like 70 percent of climate change um and is that true yeah it's true like so okay so like one of the things that i had pulled up for my research um is this forbes article um talking about environmental threats and like what the biggest contributors are i think it was the forbes article maybe not the forbes article there's one that i have where it's like percentages no nope, that's a vox article hold on i've got it i'm sorry see i have a real expert in the studio who <laughs> did their research um, oh okay so it's um a cnn article this one's 10 climate change villains by john d sutter um so Right now, 30.6% of contributions to climate change is electricity and heat, and a lot of that is um, fossil fuels. The other, There's another 14.8% that's um, by transportation, so like flying and um, cars and things like that. The majority of those 100 companies are fossil fuel companies, so like chevron um exxon mobile there was a bunch of like chinese and russian companies that were like pretty big on the list in terms of like um polluters and contributors to climate change a lot of that has to do with how it's manufactured and then on the back end i think um what they called like stage three or something like that um was what that product gets used for so like by the time it reaches us it's already gone through like two different stages of things that are contributing to pollution and so like the procurement and the manufacturing of it are already detrimental to the environment and then when we use it we got another round of Mm -hmm. it so it's just at every stage it's not a great situation yeah okay and that's oh man so it's 10 companies that are like the big villains, but... Well, it's 100 companies. Oh, 100 companies. But most of the things that are affecting climate change are happening from like first world nations, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's the modern industrialized society, people who are living in more like... Are we allowed to say third world country still? So there's a lot of talk about that. You can say it. it, it... some people in like the you know want to be more PC about it and say developing um I was listening to another podcast actually the other day um called behind the bastards and he the guy who does the that is um really into sustainability and does a lot of travel on his own he's a like a freelance journalist and he was talking about how he doesn't like that because it seems to hold other countries up to the standard of western countries yeah so like developing into like predominantly white people countries yeah i don't that it seems derogatory to say that it's just and i say this as someone who has worked in the service industry the past 14 years people will always ask so what are you trying to do? What are you mm. going to school with? And it's what it is doing is it's insinuating that you're not at your final form or that right. it's not okay where you're at. Yeah. And so, yeah, deve- but so developing nations is like, oh, it's not good, but they're on their way. Yeah. And, and I tend to think, but is that the is that is that everyone's goal? And even if it is, should it be? Mm-hmm. Because it, it seems like, okay, we've got this 
society where we have a quote unquote good life, but is it really? Mm-hmm. Because it, we're all depressed and addicted to drugs, and our environment is suffering. So I don't, I don't think that this is the aspirational place right. <laughs> to be. Um, but so like most, it seems like most. Um, climate change villains it's because of the way we live with transportation and manufacturing if you're a homesteader which is kind of how i described you and your partner to zach i'm like they're kind of homesteader type people when i met him he was into making clothes and now he Mm -hmm. makes furniture and stuff and you 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 make yogurt and kombucha and yarn and fibers Mm -hmm. and you dye things like you are very much about kind of individual sustainability and like self-sufficiency and it seems like in countries where people don't in america when people do that they do that by choice right Right, absolutely they're kind of opposing the mainstream but in other countries where it's just the way of life um they don't seem to be contributing to climate change except for when you know big factories move in and are like we're gonna fuck up your water supply by dying denim uh and so i think the the main villain uh, in uh, the environmental catastrophe is our lifestyle. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you raise a good point that a lot of these people in, in other countries don't have the choice to make their own clothing or buy it from the store a lot of times. Although, you know, when we think of these, um, you know, see those like uh, commercials where it's like for a dollar a day you can save like this tiny black child in Africa and it's like well that's really demeaning because you're just showing like poverty porn to solicit donations these people have like department stories and things like yeah. that but you know like in a lot of those um, countries where it is poor they don't really have the choice but to make these things and to like farm for themselves And somebody would be able to point to that and say, oh, but, you know, they don't have the choice. They're forced into that situation. And, you know, capitalism and Western imperialism is going to come in and save them so that they can have leisure time. And we know that that's not true because we're living in capitalism and we don't have leisure time. You just, like, work until you, like, fall asleep. Um, But, you know, if you think back to, like, the Industrial Revolution, when a lot of these things, like, um, mechanized uh, looms and things like that um, were coming onto the scene. Those were created to make life easier for people. But the way that capitalism works is you can only afford this like giant loom the size of an entire warehouse if you have millions of dollars. And most people don't have millions of dollars, so they're beholden to the person who owns that machine their life isn't getting any easier they're just removing themselves from the means of production um and then they, they become like a, a cog in the in, in a in a wealthy person's machine yeah and now they're making less money because technically what they do is i'll put it in quotes unskilled labor right so instead of being an artisan with a valuable skill okay now you're just you're doing this small part of the production and therefore we're not going to pay you very much and it, it seems to be like when manufacturing moves into neighborhoods it actually destroys the economy right and then they don't have a choice in how that thing is produced mm-hmm. so you know when you go to these other countries like if you go to ecuador and you see how the um cute tiny women make like the the cloths and the blankets and things like that they're using the traditional skills of like using plant material or insects and stuff to like make the dye and they'll make the yarn right in front of you and they have a 
the decision to either do that or, you know, raise a little bit more money and they could use the synthetic dyes, which are pollutants. But if you're not making those decisions because you don't have the power to make those decisions, then you're beholden to whatever the boss is going to do. And the boss is going to choose the cheapest option. And usually that's like polluting waterways. (laughs) Yeah, because they don't care about that. Right. They inherently do not care about people or the environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Jesus. (laughs) Yeah, because, yeah. uh, I, I want everyone to listen to uh, the episode about cigars because Scott taught me a lot about the manufacture of that and how it's done in a very handmade, sustainable, eco-friendly way. And I'm just like, yeah, can we not do everything like that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, like, because that's not where that's not how anything is made anymore. Yeah. Um, and it's just, you know, a pressure to do it as cheaply as possible. And then the labor's cheap. And then so the product can be cheap so people can then not value the product and they can dispose it and. Uh, and then it's good because people don't value it. They throw it away. They buy a new one, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, it seems to be uh, at what, what was like the turning point? I guess the, it was the industrial revolution because people used to like make things by hand and you would keep them forever and you didn't need as much shit. Mm-hmm. But like manufacturing made it so number one, it changed the whole job market, but also it, it changed our relationship to goods. And so people don't, we just buy shit all yeah. the time. Well, we produce way too much stuff is, is part of the problem. Is like a lot of the information that I've been getting. And I recognize that the things that are fed to me through my phone or through my computer are like specially picked for me. And that I'm, that's just a curation of what, you know, big business YouTube wants me to see. But a lot of the information that I've been getting is like, oh, we need to, to further innovate we need to make things more environmentally friendly we need to make new things and it's really gotten to the point where we could stop making things for years probably decades and everybody would be fine like we don't need to overhaul the garment industry we just need to stop making clothes yeah we don't um i always say if it weren't for the access to media that we have now um you would go to a thrift store and you would find something that you found was cute and you would enjoy it. But now you're seeing so many images that are making you want a very specific type of thing. Mm -hmm. And then you're seeking that out to be delivered to your house. And so because we're looking at Instagram and Pinterest, we think that we need a certain thing to have a certain aesthetic to go along with what is fashionable instead of just instead of being told what your desires are or your styles are, if you didn't have access to that, you would just go to the thrift store Mm -hmm. and you'd be like, Oh, I kind of like this. Um, when I was in art school for the third or no, the second time I did a series called post-apocalyptic wonderland because I was feeling like if we were to smash this digital grid, we would value the things in our immediate surrounding and find them to be like, precious and unique and whatever and uh, I feel like yeah the the idea that technology is the savior is weird to me right like and and then it's like oh well, you need to buy the like you need to buy these reusable sandwich bags mm-hmm. and you need to buy these like I don't do I, I have to get a fucking subscription tampon service that's what's gonna save the environment right I don't I, it just doesn't make any sense to me that the solution to the 
problem of stuff is buying more stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I've known people who are like borderline hoarders. This is an aside. And their yeah. solution to their problem of like the organization of their home is to go to the store and buy more things to organize their things. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you could just have less stuff. You could just, you don't have to become a fucking librarian and have a card catalog of your belongings. You could just have less stuff and their whole lives are buying things and then buying things to manage the organization of their things. Mm. And I'm like, you, we got to nip this in the bud. I get it. Shopping is fun. But I once, I saw a Ted talk with this bitch who was real annoying, but she was basic. She was just very like twee and hipstery, Mm -hmm. but she was saying, you know, what I do is I, everything I buy, I buy used. And then when I've, I've worn it, I'll donate those five things and buy five more things. And then it could, because she goes, I want to buy things and I want to have different things in my wardrobe, but rather than just thrifting all the time and having this giant wardrobe, you know, I, I recognize I don't need a hundred skirts. Mm-hmm. So I'll donate the five skirts I have and buy five new ones from Goodwill and like keep it rotating. So I'm not burdened by stuff. Um, and I kind of like that because I get, uh, I get claustrophobic around too many belongings. And so like, yeah, I don't know. That was a, that was a rant, but like, just have less stuff. Can everyone just have less stuff? You would hate coming over to my place. I'm like a museum. Well, you, so you have, I should, in a line with like, you, you're an artist and a creator. So you have a lot of supplies that are mm-hmm. part of that. Yeah. Which makes sense to me. It's, it's focused to, I mean, some of the stuff is just for aesthetics. Like we have a lot of like, weird we call it a weird people museum like a lot of bones and like old things um but most of the stuff that that I personally collect is is for making things so like one of my most um recent acquisitions was my spinning wheel that I actually got for free from a woman from the farmer's market just because um she knew that I knew how to make yarn and so she's like oh I've got this like colonial spinning wheel yeah so she's um I call her Thomason. She's from the colonial period, so she's like 300 years old. <laughs> but we got her working. Oh, you're talking about the spinning wheel, not yeah. the woman. I was no, like, no, no. wait, you met a 300-year-old woman at the farmer's market? I wish. Um, yeah. Okay, that makes more sense. So the spinning wheel is 300 years yeah. old. Uh-huh. And it still works perfectly fine. Yeah, I mean, we had to like patch it up a little bit, but it still works. Um, and I was actually spinning yarn um, before I came here. Oh. So. What do you spin the yarn with? Um, well, okay, so I use, one day a week, um, I work at this school called Seeds for Autism. Shout out to Seeds, I love you. Um, and we have, um, a bunch of different departments where we, um, teach adults on the autism spectrum how to do different creative and vocational skills, and I was working in the weaving department, so we have a whole bunch of looms set up when we teach them how to weave and we make towels and stuff like that. Um, one day we were going through a bunch of boxes cause we get donations and there was this woman who was a hoarder. She worked at one of the fiber, um, businesses in the East Valley and she had bought way too much fiber. So I have a whole bunch of like wool and silk and stuff like that, that oh. I got for basically free. I think some of it I paid like $40 for and then just, um, been using that up. And then once I spin it, then I turn it into, like, socks and stuff is my main plan right now. 
Cool. <laughs> the interesting thing about like older manufacturing things is like your spinning wheel is that they still work. Mm-hmm. I remember um, when I was in fashion school, we did an industry study tour in New York and we went to a trims factory that had been operational for I think over a hundred years. And so it's showing these machines that are taking the threads and weaving different uh, patterns of trim. And these machines have been spinning for a hundred years mm-hmm. because they were just built to do that. And yeah. the things they made were really lovely and durable um, versus like if you go to um, a Michael's and you buy the ribbons and stuff that are made in modern factories and they're, you know, kind of shitty. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Uh, so everyone get into spinning yarn. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. Um, so that's one another thing that I think really puts people off is to the whole sustainability thing and like self-reliance and things like that is because we're not accustomed to learning like actual skills um a lot of people go to school for like accounting or like business analysis and stuff like that and like the I don't want to knock people who do that because in you know our current economic climate in our current society those are useful Mm -hmm. things to have but like i've met people who are like 40 and don't know how to cook for themselves or don't know how to do their own laundry dude i dated a dude briefly who he had his dinner delivered every single night by uber eats and i'm just like what are you like what how because i guess if you have the money you don't ever have to learn to do things Mm -hmm. for me I you know I grew up not having a lot of money and I became vegan when I was 14 and that was a million years ago so there wasn't food available so like I had to learn how to cook Mm -hmm. and then you know uh learning new stuff can be daunting absolutely and sometimes people close the door off to that like they're just like I know what I know I'm done I graduated high school I'm done yeah and I, I know that I've tried to – I've had many people come to me and want me to teach them how to sew. Mm-hmm. And about 30 minutes in, they're just like – their eyes are glazed yep. over. Can you just do this for mm-hmm. me? Um, because it's I – don't, I don't know if it's a fear of being bad at things. I kind of accept that I'm bad at a lot of things. Um, I'm, I'm a jack-of-all-trades type person. Uh, and so it, I get it because it is setting time – I could binge watch, you know, the new season of uh, Jessica Jones on Netflix, or I could sit down and learn a new skill. Mm -hmm. And like, it is simpler to just kind of veg out, but you're really 40 and you don't know how to cook food or you're throwing away a hoodie because the zipper jammed. Right. And it's like, make a night of it or do a skill share with friends. Cause it is for me, that is more engaging and enjoyable than, consuming media is being like okay how can i fix this mm-hmm. um i don't know but and and i don't know if that was born out of i'm a natural born tinkerer or i've just always been poor so like you know for a while i was into fixing up old typewriters and then i could use my typewriter and i could sell typewriters and like i've just always been that way yeah so yeah it's kind of a double-edged sword because on the one hand like you kind of have to be privileged in order to have like the time and finances to start what has now become a hobby rather than like essential for living Um, oh because if you are like most americans working 60 hours a week you're really gonna get home from work and like darn your socks yeah like i that does make sense or you don't have like access to regular internet or like because you're working 
two, three jobs, you don't have time to go to the library and get a book or your library is underfunded and there's not enough information or your, your, your schooling was underfunded and your children's schooling's underfunded and there's not availability to like go to the, um, what's the, the new place that's next to the science center where you can like make things? Oh, do we have a maker space now? Yeah. Oh, cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. It's, um, through the city of Phoenix. That's awesome. So they have like CNC machines and like 3D printers and stuff, but you have to be able to have time to get there. You have to have reliable transportation. You have to be able to afford the entry price. And, you know, so on the one hand, you have to be able to afford these things and to have the time and energy in order to learn them. But then on the other hand, it's true. Like sometimes you don't have the luxury to not know how to do those things. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of the time those things are undervalued because you're in a lower socioeconomic status or because you're of a particular culture or race where it's like, oh, these are the things that poor people do because they're poor rather than like some, you know, trust fund 20 something white young woman who's able to like make her own clothes and then it's like oh look how fancy I am um yeah that's <laughs> it that is an interesting divide where it is like yeah it's um either poor people doing it out of necessity and I'll use cooking as an example or wealthy people doing it out of leisure if you are a stay-at-home wife and you have the budget to shop at Whole Foods you're cooking dinner every night yeah. maybe and yeah if you are a stay-at-home mom because childcare is $1,500 a month, so one of the parents stays home, and you are also cooking every night. But mm -hmm. there is that definite divide of people who are doing it. Um, but, and and the, the one person is heralded on Instagram for, you know, being pretty about it. Right. <laughs> and the other person is just like, oh, man, you're being real poor about that. Yeah, one person's in Elotero, and we're trying to get them outlawed, and the other person's selling Mexican street corn from a food truck. <laughs> oh, Jesus, yes. Um, yeah, we live in a weird world. What do you say about the idea of reimagining a lifestyle where... And I'm, I'm definitely guilty of this. So I used to... I worked like 30 hours a week while I went to school full-time for years, and during that period of my life I definitely was more crafty and I would fix things more because I had more time mm -hmm. and then when um I finished school and I went into the workforce I kind of got in the brain where it was like well if I go to my job I make x number of dollars an hour and so it's easier to buy things to solve my problems mm -hmm. and just work more hours and pay for solutions than it you know and I I'm reaching a point in my life where I'm thinking about, okay, this is how I've been living for the past three and a half years is that my solution to everything is working more so I can pay for solutions instead of going, okay, yeah, I do make less money um, when I'm sewing clothes like for myself or for other people, but maybe there is value in spending more time at home cooking food, fixing things than working to pay for it. Right. I think that could be really easily offset by just getting to know your community and building a strong community with the people that you already know where let's say that you're the person who knows how to sew so then you know somebody who um gardens and has like tomatoes and stuff like we have a friend um shout out to tay and ariana um who have um a house and in their backyard they have a whole bunch of like greens and stuff so 
um, they gave, they just gave us um, a whole bunch of greens, but like a year or two before I gave them um, a SCOBY and kombucha starter. And mm-hmm. so they were doing that and we just kind of like trade things every once in a while. And, and um, or like the other day, one of my neighbors um, showed a lot of interest in the things that I did. And so I mentioned that I'd wanted to make soap. And so she came over like two weeks ago and we made soap for the very first time um, from scratch. And so now she has soap and I have soap and she knows that um, if she needs something that she can come to me. And then if I like she does dog sitting and pet sitting and stuff like that. So I told her, you know, someday I'm going to want to go on vacation and then you can watch that rather than having to like look outside to purchase things. To work extra hours to pay for the kenneling of your dogs. Mm -hmm. Um, That is an interesting point um, because and I am I am guilty of something that I will. Uh, work my way up to because as as being myself I get long-winded when I'm trying to wind my way to a point so I'm reading this book called Dispatches from Pluto and it's about um, this travel journalist named Richard Grant he's from England his girlfriend's from Tucson they've been living in New York for a while and they're depressed and the dog's depressed and he goes on assignment down to Mississippi in the Delta and he kind of falls in love with it and they end up buying this plantation home. And so it follows them really, it's culture shock, right? They're uh, from big cities, they're white liberals, and now they're down in like the poorest, blackest area of the country and they're learning a lot about their surroundings. But one of the things that is kind of blowing his mind is he's surrounded by these rednecks who are... He's told, like, you know, Republicans don't care about other people and they're racist or whatever. And he sees these interactions in the community that make him question this because he's seeing people helping each other out and these black and white families that have been part of each other's lives for generations and they're raising each other's kids and stuff. And he's like, I've never seen this sort of community engagement in where I'm from as liberals we just go somebody needs to fix that Mm -hmm. somebody needs to help that person and we go on our way and he goes here's these like republicans that are helping raise the black babies and the black women are helping raise the white people's babies and they're mowing each other's lawns and taking each other shooting or hey i killed too many quail here's some meat and he's like it's just different to me because where i'm from we don't really talk to our neighbors or interact or help people out directly. We Mm -hmm. just go, there should be a social service for that. And I think that I'm kind of in that way where I am not great at engaging with other people and interacting directly. And so this idea of going, oh, in order to have a healthy, like balanced life, I need to involve other people and go, hey, can you help me with this? And then I'll volunteer my time to help you with that. Because like we get kind of selfish you're just like, oh, I don't want to spend an afternoon doing that for another person. And you're like, but wait, like, you should, because like it'll it's it'll it'll benefit you in the long run. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is it is hard. Like, I have a very city mindset, where it's like you pay money to get things fixed, and like, yeah, I don't know. It's a and it's a modern mindset. You work, and then you just spend all your time at work, and then you use that money to solve the life's problems. Right. Yeah. There's always there's always somebody else to do the thing that you need. I think I'm not a conspiracy theorist by any means, but I do think that a lot of that is intentional. 
um, you know, by the powers that be, whomever that be, um, to put us in a position of learned helplessness. Yes. That, and that, there we go. Thank you. This is why I need you to be the smarter person. Cause that's what, <laughs> that's part of what, uh, Richard Grant was saying in this book is that like, yeah, it's like we coming into this environment, we have no fucking skills. Like we, he's like, allegedly I'm this hotshot journalist, I'm going to starve to death and Mm -hmm. die of bug bites if it weren't for my neighbors helping me. Right. Yeah. So I don't know if you saw the Instagram post I did a couple, I think it was like a week or two ago with the olives. Uh Uh-uh. So a lot of people, so Phoenix, the the valley in particular has tons of olives because we have the, um, we have the climate for it. So there's olive trees everywhere. You've probably seen them and they stay in the ground a lot of the times once they're ripe and then they fall off the tree. Most people, if you ask them if they're edible, will tell you, no, of course not. They're poisonous. And that is not even remotely true. Um, there's a little bit of a process that is involved. Um, what people usually taste when they when they bite into a fresh one is bitterness, and it's just, um, I think they're tannins mostly, like the same thing that you would find in black tea. Mm-hmm. That makes them kind of gross, and you don't want to eat it because they're super bitter. But if you just wash them a couple of times, all that the stuff that causes the bitter taste washes out, and then you just pickle them like you would like cucumbers or anything like that, and they're perfectly edible. Or like the what we think of ornamental oranges that's around the valley, those are edible too. They're just better used for different things. Mm-hmm. Um, or like there's um, two date palms in front of where I work now, and when I did my internship there um, last year, um, I was just picking them <laughs> off the tree, and I still have some in my freezer. But a lot of people look at that and they're like, "Oh, that's landscaping. That's not edible." Therefore, I'm going to go to the grocery store. I'm going to spend $4 for some organic dandelion greens when there's, like, dandelion weeds growing outside. And I'm not saying, like, go out and eat weeds because, like, who knows what's touched it. Yeah. But, like, the fact that we have in Arizona, like, food growing everywhere. If you spend, like, 8 $9 a pound for olives, if you just, you know, spend an afternoon of it learning how to make it yourself, then you can end up with, like, 40 pounds of olives for free. And most people will just give them to you. Um, that's interesting. Um, number one, shout out to Rob Love, who lives in Tacoma, and he goes out there and eats figs and stuff off of trees. But it is a thing where we have been trained that it's not edible unless it comes from a grocery store. Mm-hmm. And there is a lot of fear in eating things in nature. I, You know, as a kid, you hear, oh, there's poisonous, poisonous mushrooms or people die from this. Uh, my former co-host we had an episode where we talked about she was scared to about cooking because mm. she was scared she was going to mess up something or poison herself. Like in her mind, if she bought food at a restaurant or McDonald's or whatever, it was safe because someone else mm-hmm. cooked it and they knew what they were doing. And she was thinking, oh, if I take these raw ingredients and I turn them into food for myself, I'm going to fuck up and I'm going to make myself sick. So I think it's just a way if you – we're very detached from nature Mm -hmm. the way that we live and so yeah the idea of taking something out of the ground and eating it you're like no that doesn't seem right right um and industrialization and manufacturing has fucked a lot of people up um in terms of our energy usage and stuff like we don't see where our power comes from Mm -hmm. so we're not we don't think about leaving lights on or whatever versus i years ago i listened to an npr thing about in China, like in 
mainland China, people have to put coal in a thing in their house for power. And so they're more conscientious about how much coal they're burning because they're they're loading it. They're seeing the black smoke of it or whatever. And ours is all happening somewhere else. So it Mm -hmm. doesn't feel real to us. And I think it's the same way. I can't tell you how many uh, like and I'm not against me eating whatsoever. So I just want to like put that out there. I'm not going to preach to anybody about that. If you want to eat meat do your thing, whatever. But I know so many meat eaters who think hunting is so savage. And I remember when Sarah Palin was uh, running for, you know, that situation, um, people were like, oh, she's a hunter. And I'm like, that is the least offensive thing about you. If you are willing to go out there and kill an animal and make food out of it, by all means do. It's apparently very healthy. It's not bad for the environment. Mm -hmm. Like I have no problem with hunters whatsoever. It is the like, number one, the healthiest for you and the healthiest for the environment way to procure animals to eat is to actually hunt them um and so it's weird where it's like these people will eat meat for two or three meals a day and because they aren't seeing the factory farming situation of it they aren't thinking of how many animals they're actually killing but the idea of actually of killing and skinning a rabbit is disgusting to them Mm -hmm. and you're like you've got it all fucking wrong it's just that we're used to the detached means you know People would never, um, you know, I don't know. People would never uh, abuse a child, but they buy child labor stuff all right. the time. And you're just like, it's the fucked upness of yeah. a global economy Economy with, like, you know, this mass manufacturing is we don't see the harm that we're doing because we're so detached from it. Um, and there's, you know... The, we're choosing not to think about it. Remember when Nike blew up in the 90s and everyone was like, oh, my God, child labor? Yeah this is the end of them and they're this huge company and now they put Colin Kaepernick in their ads and they're this like totally woke company but I don't know that they've changed their manufacturing by any Mm -hmm. means or like Gap Old Navy Banana Republic which are all owned by the same company is like almost unabashed about how they use child labor and nobody seems to to care or really talk about it um I found in twenty in twenty twelve I found this um, Good Housekeeping magazine from nineteen ninety two at the gym, and I really wish I would have taken it home because it's this twenty year old artifact, and it had an article in it that was like things that are going to change in twenty years, and it was like no single use plastic, no business is going to use plastic silverware, single serving packaging is going to be gone, and they had a picture of like you know gummy snacks or whatever for kids lunches. They're like these things are all going to be gone by in twenty years. Mm-hmm. We're getting rid of these. And it's weird because the knowledge of production has not changed the behavior of the consumer whatsoever. Yeah. We've just learned to ignore it. And I I give people a pass in that in a way just because I, our economy is so depressing and the outlook of our entire fucking generation is really depressing. Like we don't – the idea like of owning homes or having careers, that's gone. Mm-hmm. So the fact that we really enjoy buying a Starbucks and Instagramming it, I and sometimes I'm like, just let people have it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I get the idea of being like, I'm never going to be out of debt or own anything or have a reliable job. So can I please buy a $10 shirt at Target? Like I get what that – I get how that is like soothing. That right. is the anesthetic for our – 
woes, but it's also not okay. Well, like, so going back to, like, the stages of production, like, by that point, the thing is already made, right? So going back to the factory farming thing, and I, you know, full disclosure, I am a vegan and I am judging you for your food choices. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, Like, a lot of people, like, myself included at one point, and think that, oh, if I stop eating meat, if enough of us stop eating meat, then, you know, things will change. Or if I stop using straws, if I stop using single-use plastic, and enough of us decide to stop doing that, then things will change. And, like, maybe but like at that point the the product is already done Mm -hmm. with and so a lot of people don't realize that a lot of the things that we consume are subsidized by the government so like meat and dairy for instance if if like whatever dairy company doesn't sell as much cheese as they thought that they wanted to sell. They've they've made a deal with the United States government going back to like the 50s, I think 40s or 50s, somewhere around there. The dairy industry did a deal with the United States government that anything that they didn't sell, the U.S. would buy. That's like in the 90s when Clinton had like the government cheese. Oh, yeah. That's where that was coming from. So we have like underground bunkers that are miles long filled with cheese that we bought. I saw that and I think it was that Katie Couric documentary and you're just like, but like, why? (laughs) Because like, so like the... When I when I see all these like companies like Instagram on my feeds pops up and it's just like some new comp like this new small business that like makes bespoke t-shirts or something like that and they're like buy from me because you're not buying from Walmart or whatever. It doesn't really matter because like Walmart's still going to be making those, you know, child labor t-shirts uh. and they're going to be making them by the thousands. And if you as an individual or if hundreds of people decide to buy from bespoke t-shirt lady Instead of buying from Walmart, then the government's just going to buy it. And then we're just going to, like, ship it off to Africa or something like that. Um, Or, like, a lot of people don't know that, like... So (laughs) one thing that I found really interesting and I found out, like, years and years ago is, like, companies like McCall's and, like, different um, uh, sewing sewing pattern manufacturers, um, if, say, Walmart doesn't sell them and it's time to like get the new season of sewing patterns they've organized a deal with these distributors that they need to destroy the sewing patterns and different clothing companies are like that too so like really high-end clothing companies rather than have their clothes end up in like thrift stores or like going to you know quote-unquote poor people oh because then it it ruins their brand yeah they'll just destroy them yeah um yeah that anyone who's worked in retail can attest to that where if um like they will have to throw shit in the dumpster but before they throw it in the dumpster they have to slash it and stuff Mm -hmm. because yeah god forbid a poor person be wearing something that is three hundred dollars then it ruins the perceived value and they can no longer sell it for three hundred dollars right and it's uh it is it's fucked up and it's (laughs) fucked up the people who the people who support these sort of corporate deals to keep these businesses alive are also anti anything that could have a whiff of socialism involved Mm -hmm. and you're like okay so if a company can't sustain itself 
we can bail them out. But if a human can't sustain themselves, we don't do anything about that. Right. Because you're assuming that if we bail out these big companies, that that will trickle down to that poor person, which it does not. We're still waiting on it. <laughs> yeah. And so the idea that there, you know, food, there's food waste, which apparently is a huge issue mm-hmm. um, for climate change. I didn't realize that until I used to hate the concept of these meal delivery services where you're like, I'm sorry, like it's getting delivered in a cardboard box with all these cooling uh, components and stuff and all the packaging involved in it. It seems very wrong to me. And apparently those are more ecologically friendly than going to a store um, based on the amount of food waste when people buy their own groceries Mm. and they don't. And I don't know. It seemed like a legit study that was saying that people waste so much food that the 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 greenhouse gases and pollutants caused by the manufacture of food um, are greater from buying things at the grocery store and people just throwing food away than using a meal delivery kit. And that also seems really fucked up to me because, like, the meal delivery kits seem wrong. Right. So I don't know what we have to do to, like – be able to buy food and then use that food i wonder how far they analyze that so um where i'm working now uh we just finished a lot of our logic models so it's um inputs outputs and then outcomes Mm -hmm. and um so outputs are like short-term things that we can monitor based off our immediate things so like when i see a client and we're working on her getting a job then if she gets a job that's the outcome of us working together but um or the output so the outcome would be like five ten years from now you know what has the effect of her having a job done on her family and the community and that sort of thing so you know I would be really curious to see if like what's the effect of the person who's ordering the um, meal box on the person who's delivering it because the delivery person's being paid a certain amount of money. Is that more or less than the person working at the grocery store? Uh, Is that person like a gig employee? Like when Amazon um, switched from um, like like in-house people to like people in the community that they can do like the Uber model. Oh yeah, I saw a delivery today. Uh, Zach lost the remote for his fire stick on his last trip and so he had to order a new one. And um, I was leaving for the gym and this van pulls up and it's just an unmarked van. It's just a dude. Mm -hmm. It's just a it's a gig dude dropping off a box, um, which is like I I hate the gig economy. That's like a whole nother thing. Um, But yeah. So basically then because it's a company that uses gig employees, you're sacrificing the grocery store employees who have like healthcare and stuff. Yeah. So like what are what are the long-term outcomes of that person versus the person who has like a full-time job with benefits and I don't know the answer to that, but I'd be really interested to see how far into the research they went versus just like let's c- I keep doing that. Let's compare this thing to this thing um and then there's like a whole web of other things involved and I think that's where a lot of people get um kind of caught up in terms of sustainability in general is just not thinking the next step so like a lot of the people who I follow on like Instagram and I'm just gonna say Instagram because that's really the only thing that I do all day is just scroll Instagram (laughs) um so like somebody makes um a dress with cotton that they ordered from like 
like organic company that like does this thing and then like you know how far can you trace it back before it gets to a point where it's only marginally better or like if you are making something and you're a small business but the things that you're ordering from are from a company that you have to like ship from China that sort of thing and like how the the more um deep into it you go the more you start realizing that like there is a really common phrase in like communist and socialist um things as far as I've been able to um, identify is like there's no ethical consumption over in in terms of capitalism and there's okay no ethical production either because capitalism by its very nature needs to do things as cheaply and as quickly as humanly possible mm-hmm. and it really doesn't take into effect like how much need there is so if like y- if you're buying a bolt of fabric it doesn't make like fiscal sense to just make a bolt of fabric every time someone orders it you have to make like thousands of yards of fabric in order to make that um profitable for yourself and then at that point it doesn't matter that you're buying a t-shirt that somebody made by hand because that they bought it from a company that was making way too much and then a lot of the other things. So it's not just consumption, it's not just production, it's overproduction and utilizing resources that are finite. So like we only have, um, if you're using like fossil fuels to make plastic and plastic to make synthetic fabrics, that's one thing. But then like if you're growing organic cotton, you're using um, nutrients from the ground that can't be replaced and a lot of people don't do rotation planting so the nutrients from a different crop aren't being put into the soil and that's where we have things like the dust bowl where people just can't grow food anymore um i was reading about that last week because my life's a real thrill ride um yeah it seems like basically making anything on a large scale makes it worse exactly yeah so um a couple years ago, I was obsessed with, like, the 1960s homesteading movement. Um, I am, full disclaimer, everyone knows this, I'm scared of hippies. They creep me <laughs> out. And it always seems like when people try to figure out a way to live differently, then some sort of weird sex situation happens. Um, and that I'm very uncomfortable about mm-hmm. that because uh, I'm, I'm not sexually uptight. Like, listen all joke about anything uh but also i don't i'm very uncomfortable with uh public sexuality uh and so where i'm like oh man everything was going great you were gardening you were doing crop rotation you were doing communal child care and rearing oh man and then everyone just had to suck this one dude off like Mm -hmm. why did that yeah why did it have to come to that um (laughs) but uh but yeah i was i was uh interested in like the sort of like anarcho like off the grid homesteading thing because it seems like if you try to figure out a way to make things okay on a global scale, it's very overwhelming, mm-hmm. right? Um, but if you're like, listen, I I could just like manage my own life and I can eat my garden and like it just scale everything down, mm-hmm. <laughs> scale it down, make it simpler. It seems better um, uh, because yeah, just trying to okay, we want to like I love Levi's, like they are my favorite jeans i love their design i love everything about them but like we're dealing with global denim trade there's no way to make jeans for people across the world in a way that isn't extremely detrimental Mm -hmm. um but you know if you go to a thrift store and you buy a vintage pair of jeans and you tailor them to fit your own body 
cool. I think we didn't hurt anybody here. Right. Um, and that's my way of dealing with the world is like, uh, I can't like, I just can't get into all that right now. <laughs> um, uh, let me just figure out how to make things work in my own little orbit. Yeah, uh, totally. So yeah, I'm, I'm always, my mind is blown by this sort of, um, I don't know, like the cult of Elon Musk type people mm-hmm. who are like, we're going to figure out a technological solution. It's like, or we could just like stop. Right. I, and listen, you're I'm you're dealing with like an addict who I couldn't moderate or make peace with my alcohol consumption. So I was just like, you know what? I'm not going to do that. Like, <laughs> like, that's the sort of attitude I have towards things like, I don't know how that works. Yeah. I'm just going to stay away from it. Um, because so I so this is a good quote, this this Russian quote of yours of the, there is no ethical consumption what was it there's no ethical consumption in capitalism yeah under capitalism and there's no ethical production either okay so that this the answer that we're dealing with is just produce more and consume or no produce less produce cons- less consume, consume less. less um yeah just be chill and like save money man mm-hmm. it's yeah. hard though I, it's why I'm like trying to scale back my uh, social media usage because it does fill me with want. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see a place and you want to go to that place. You see a thing and you want to buy that thing. And isn't that like, was that a Gandhi thing where it's like the key is like wanting less? Um, yeah. Well, and, it's kind of like Buddhist. There we go. Yeah. Like, so, it, but it's hard because I, I feel like the, the technology is filling us full of wants yeah. and need, like manufactured wants and needs. Or if you're like, like you said, looking at the future and there's like death and destruction and you're going to be living in squalor and <laughs> facing things that you've never had to deal with in your entire life and no one before you for like the last you know, 70 years has had to deal with, then, you know, if you can just make it go away for a few minutes with, like, a Starbucks or with a new top from Dillard's or whatever, then that's the thing that you're going to go for because, like, fuck it, you're not going to have a house. You're not going to have, you know, a pla- a planet to live on. Yeah, I mean, I it explains... So, I mean, I just got into theme park and theme park design four years ago, and everyone knows that I go to Disneyland all the time. And I think part of that is... Is, is like I went to college for three different degrees and every time I graduated I couldn't support myself in that field and as time passed my debt grew and my economic prospects slimmed and so I don't think it is a coincidence that the fact that I am obsessed with going to this manufactured environment where everything is pretty and clean and smells good and it's under control it's very safe it's mm-hmm. a nice safe bubble like you know no one's There's no homeless people there Mm -hmm. asking for money. No one's sexually harassing you. Like everything is perfect and ideal. And so I, I think aside from the, my artistic interest in it, um, my lifestyle interest in it is like, oh shit, as I've gotten more and more in debt and, you know, I can't lie to myself in any way, shape or form to think that I'm going to have like a positive economic future. Uh, cause I'm, you know. I am incapable of lying to anyone, uh, least of all myself. But um, theme parks as an industry have also grown during that time. So in this time where I'm not unique in this, uh, it is an entire generation. And it's interesting that the theme park industry has had this huge economic boom and uh, and renaissance. Mm -hmm. Because I think that's what everyone is experiencing. Where it's like theme parks are not a green experience by any stretch of the imagination, right. you're eating, you know, 
mass manufactured food. It's being served. It's all disposable stuff. Like they are not, they're the least green place ever, but people are drawn to them because we are kind of, um, staring down the barrel of this like bleak future. And so, um, you know, Walt Disney's sort of uh, broad conceptual thing was American optimism mm-hmm. and idealism. And so we're living in a very bleak America. And, oh, we can go to this weird alternative upside down version of it. And I think that's why the industry is booming because the escapism is in high demand. Yeah. And this whole like Comic Con culture, I think, is part of that where it's like people, your own reality is like kind of gross and sad but like and so like why even fuck with the news right get super into like a sort of a a line of comic books or whatever and dress as the characters and role play as the characters because it is a way to avoid the negativity Mm -hmm. of this world yeah nostalgia um as a as a mindset from like a psychological perspective is really interesting because like and this is this is just my hypothesis but like you see a lot of like the quote-unquote millennial generation focusing on things from their childhood Mm -hmm. and that makes a lot of sense when you're put in a position where you're responsible for things that you didn't have a choice in and producing so like you're staring down the barrel of like the destruction of the planet and fixing our economy and having to deal with like all these refugees and every you you can't even like pay your student loan debt so why wouldn't you want to go back to a time period where you didn't have to make decisions and everything was taken care of for you and if you had a a really um privileged upbringing because most people lived with adverse childhood experiences um but if you had a really nice upbringing where everything was sheltered then you you know it makes sense to want to go back to that mindset of where you were like in a nice little child bubble yeah, you. I mean, you follow me on Instagram, so you've seen glimpses of what my bedroom looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I had a house, it looked like Pee Wee's Playhouse. So, like, I because I, as someone who struggles with depression, and I mean, I can remember suicidal thoughts going back to before the age of 10. So, like, yeah, absolutely. Like, when is the last time I felt good or positive or hopeful? It was probably the 80s. Mm-hmm. So, like, of course it looks like my life looks like a child of the 80s because that is the last time I remember feeling like good about anything Mm -hmm. uh which is like dark and depressing and people hate when you talk like that (laughs) they hate it it makes people uncomfortable (laughs) um but yeah I don't so I don't really know I there was a time in my life uh before I was trying to make it as a media personality where I wasn't on social media for seven years and I mean I was depressed during that time period but I, I I my psychology was definitely different than it is now when I I rejoined and was Mm -hmm. like, listen, other people are making money off the internet. I want to do that too. Um, But it's altered my brain in a way because I am filled with a lot more like want Mm -hmm. and insecurity and shortcomings because I am always comparing myself to other people or wanting things that I didn't even know existed. Um, I don't know. There's a couple of things that I've been thinking about in terms of starting before New Year's resolution time. The first one is limiting um, my usage of my phone to one hour a day mm. and setting a strict schedule with that so that if there are – because you you say, oh, I need to check my emails or I need to, you know, 
tweet out about this new episode or whatever, but it, 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 the scroll begins. The mm. scroll happens. And it's hard for me to resist my the scroll because some of my favorite people that I interact with regularly, I know through the internet. Mm-hmm. So the scroll has helped me, but it also hurts me. So that's like goal number one, engage less with social media so that I want less. And goal number two is to go an entire year without buying anything new, Ooh. which I don't know if that's realistic or not because I really want new gym shoes because mine, I kind of melted in a campfire. <laughs> and uh, there that was a year ago. And there's Well, there- what size do you have? Because I have trainers that I don't use. Nine. I might have some shoes for you. Okay. See, this is what <laughs> we're talking about, engaging with the community. But I feel like that's a good experiment to be like, okay, when when you aren't thinking about buying new or used, you're buying a lot of new stuff and mm-hmm. you're buying so you're contributing to the manufacturer. But like, could you go a year without buying anything new? I Maybe, th- right? I, I think you could. I mean, food's going to be tricky. Well, food I, I guess I was not counting food. Oh, okay. <laughs> but like not going and being like, "Oh, I need Tupperware or I need um like home home goods and clothing. Oh, Frank is joining the the table because yeah, he he's wanted, in love with you. He wanted up on my lap. Yeah, he's in, he's super in love with you. It's <laughs> fine. I just my dog loves everyone but me, and that's okay. He <laughs> makes me work for his affections, and it drives me wild. Um, but I feel like I used to not buy anything because I didn't have any money, and now like I have like enough money that like oh, I need new socks or I need new this and I'll like just buy it, mm-hmm. right? And like it, I want to break those psychological bonds because that's the sickness we all have yeah. is it, in relation to diet, right? They say one of, one of the plethora of causes of like America's unhealthy problem is like between your work and your home, you pass like 15 places that sell food. So you're Mm -hmm. constantly being triggered and you might beat yourself up for finally acquiescing and buying fast food. But at the point that you give in to buying it, you have said no in your mind a hundred times because you've been triggered a hundred times and the hundred and first time you give into it. Right. And so I think it's the same thing with like being a consumer is you're being told all of your waking hours that you need things and you need to buy things. And so when you finally give in and buy them, like, of course, right? Like, of course. And so like, if I, if there's a way to limit your exposure to being marketed to, it can help cut down in the consumption of things. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. This is, this is what I'm, this is what I'm, I'm working towards. I think it's a good plan. I'm trying to get there too. And it's the same thing. Like I noticed, so I started my new job in February and with it came like a significantly higher pay raise than I've had in the majority of my life. Um, but I'm also working like 40 hours a week and that's something that I hadn't been accustomed to because I was working like at most like 20, 24 hours a week up to that point. Which is the ideal work week. Yeah, I, I just, loved it. I, I <laughs> I'm campaigning for that to be everyone's work week. Yeah. I'm not I'm not unique in being a princess. I think everyone should work 24 hours a week and then spend time with your loved ones. Yeah, I had so much time to do stuff. It was wonderful. And now I don't have any time to do anything because, like, I mean, like, I would had I not, like, a chronic disorder that made me tired, like, 24-7 and in pain 24-7. Um, but... 
so I get home and then I don't have time to do anything and then I just get filled with that existential dread like oh I'm wasting my life like what is this not to say that I don't love my job I really love my job um but yeah if it's if you only have so much battery reserve and it's being drained by work yeah then you're just like okay well that's it that's my day so I've been I've been buying a lot of things on eBay and I'll like look at my bank statements and just like like thousands of dollars gone Noah please don't listen to this <laughs> um and I don't even know where I don't know what I've spent it on it's just gone and then so I I'm right there with you and I like a lot of, I think I don't know for sure because no everybody's too polite to say it that they think that I'm like elitist and that I'm telling everybody what to do and like just let me have fun and have my my things and let me buy and consume and stuff like that I'm not like that I'm not a perfect person and I would absolutely love it if people you know bought their plastic things at Walmart if that's what they had access to and then they used it until they couldn't use it anymore yeah um but yeah there there's definitely it's it's a hard habit to break when you're brought up from the you know the moment that you take your first breath everything wants to get you to consume and you know the majority of our memories are are within a realm of like pop culture and like consumer capitalism and things like that and how many things we say every day I've been trying to like retrain my brain to not say things that I can directly attribute to like a television show yeah because a lot of people their whole personality is it's what they're quoting and what their pop culture references are that's uh, and I've been fooled I've been fooled by people because I didn't know what they I didn't know they were quoting something and I was like oh my god they're so clever (laughs) and it's like oh no this is all from that thing because it's you know you're putting out what you put in and Mm -hmm. if it's all pop culture then that's what's coming out and then if you don't look or resemble the things on tv then you are less than yeah so i I, what i really advocate more than anything when when i talk about sustainability and like trying to save the planet as best as we can um is just to like build awareness first of all i think a lot of people that are kind of eco-minded miss the first step of not meeting people where they are Mm -hmm. and so they there is that elitism of like, oh, well, you know, we should have been saving the planet 20 years ago. We've got a lot of catching up to do. Why are you still using that plastic straw? And it's like, you got to step back a little bit and like convince people to care first. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's in, in AA. The first step, I think, is admitting that you have a problem. Mm-hmm. Like you need to recognize that there's an issue before you're even open to suggestions of change to yeah. solve it. So. so if like somebody doesn't have like steady access to food they can't like conceptualize buying their food from a farmer's market or making sure that you know the things that they buy are local because maybe they live in a rural area and they have to travel like 20 minutes by foot just to get to the bus station so that they could go to Walmart or so that they could work and then they're living on food stamps and like a lot of these things are only attainable if you're in a particular socioeconomic status and people don't really consider that dude people do not understand food deserts like that does not make any sense if you have a checking account and you live we live in a city where we have access to so many grocery stores and Mm -hmm. sources of food and um there's both the issue with rural america where people are no longer farming because their farms were taken over by big farming Mm -hmm. and the only access they have to food is 15 miles away there is a gas station or there's a barber shop slash 
basically bodega. Yeah. And there's so there's no access to fresh food there, but also in inner cities where they don't have big grocery stores. And I just when I lived in Brooklyn, um, there were these like little like nature's grocers type places where you could buy cashew milk for eight nine dollars like there there and there were pre-made like salad wraps that were a million dollars there were bodegas where you could buy chips and then if you went a little bit further there was like one low tier grocery store which sold mostly frozen goods and if you went on food stamp day you would wait in line for two hours to pay because everyone's stocking up on the frozen and you think oh we're in the middle of a city this is brooklyn Mm -hmm. and like they're Unless you had money to go into Whole Foods in Manhattan, you didn't have the same options of food. So, yeah, I don't know, man. That, I think about that a lot because yeah. there is some uh, – the the elitism and classism of, quote, unquote, clean eating, mm-hmm. which is, like, another thing where we moralize food and you're just like, Jesus fucking Christ, bitch. Like, yeah. Because it's always a really aggressively skinny white lady. Yeah. Um, that, but who doesn't take into account that that person isn't making a choice? It's been like thrust upon them. Where like it. So like eating. Everybody's like anti gluten, and I'm kind of like yay team gluten because what it, there's a really good Michael Pollan documentary where he talks about how. Um, there's evidence to suggest that people who are gluten intolerant, not like celiac disease, but that gluten intolerance is um, produced by not using the same um, chemical process that we used to make bread for like the last million years. So we're using all these um, quick rise yeasts that aren't deconstructing the the chemicals um, in the the wheat berries like we would ordinarily and so we're having difficulties um digesting that so i you must be familiar with fodmaps yeah yeah Yeah. Uh um so like that's one of the things if we're not like properly deconstructing those chemicals then our body can't digest them um and so a lot of the things that are plaguing the lower classes like poor health care, poor digestion, and things like that. It's like they don't have the, the luxury to, like, go and, you know, make their own bread because, first of all, they don't have the financial resources to have time to, like, divulge 13 hours into making a loaf of bread. They may not have access to a place where they can buy, like, organic flour to make that process more um, more manageable, they don't have the resources to learn how to make their own bread. They might not have access to the internet or even know that that's a thing that they are capable of doing because their entire life they've been telling, oh, you're poor, you're stupid, you don't, your only value is in like scrubbing toilets or like working at a fast food restaurant. Yeah, I, uh, I'll shout out to my girl Dee Dee. Uh, she doesn't work at Sprouts anymore, but she used to. And uh, she, I knew her from both Sprouts and Home Depot because she worked 80 hours a week. And so, um, because, that's what you really have to do, especially if you are a single person or a single parent. And so she worked, you know, daytime mornings at Sprouts and then evenings at Home Depot. And I would see her both places. And she had all of her meals on the go. And so if you think of the percentage of Americans who are living like that, you know, she told me she's like, yeah, I put 
like peanut butter and coffee in the blender and that's what I drink like on my way to work and like she had she would eat like a process something driving to the other job like she's not fucking making bread right, right. like she's got to make money there's no and there's no and then there isn't the time to like research like what's going on with my body exactly and you're just told like oh like you're unhealthy because you have poor impulse control and that's you're overweight and yeah. like it's more complex than that I will shout out uh, in relation to cool shit with bread, I follow this guy on Twitter, Seamus Buckley, I want to say, and he cultivates ancient yeasts and oh, like wow. shows how to make grain. And mm-hmm. he'll like sh- he'll show like he recently went to the park and got like some dandelions and was showing how to cultivate yeast off of them. I don't understand. It's fascinating, and he puts it all in a thread, and you get to like go along for the yeah. process um, to be like, no, this is how like things were happening up until a hundred years ago. Yeah. Um. And so yeah, it's weird. I I think. You know, individual efforts are lovely, and they're the they're the thing that you have the most control over. But something that I'm putting a lot of thought into lately, especially as I'm like trying to build up some of my own capital, is like if you have the time and the money and the privilege to like advocate for like individual changes that you should redirect that energy into building up the community and let like putting power back into the community so that we're not living in it you know I live in Tempe so like going up around me are like dozens of luxury apartments that are going to remain completely empty and there's this beautiful little plot of land that looks just like a garbage dump there's like nothing it's just dirt Mm -hmm. I would love to be able to like put some money together and purchase that land and then like make a community garden or like tiny houses for our gigantic homeless population in Tempe. It's ridiculous. So like they could live there and then like work in the community garden. And then that's like paying for their stay or like have like a little shop there where like we could teach um, like local teenagers how to, um, how to garden and how to do like sustainability things and then they could like teach other children how to do that and so then like the more power that you put into individuals particularly if they're of a lower class um the more people are going to pay attention to what their environment looks like Mm -hmm. and so they'll they'll take better care of it if they have an investment in it rather than this is like what some rich person owns that's not mine I don't like yeah if you're living in like a slum apartment you know getting to know your neighbors and advocating for better changes to the environment or like taking it upon yourself and your neighbors to like clean things up and you know learn how what's around you um, that is interesting. I had a friend who, um, I don't know if he's still doing it, but for years ran a company in Phoenix that did that. It got homeless people running a garden mm-hmm. in exchange for housing and it was very successful. And then the funding came from selling that stuff at the farmer's market. And I think there is something to be said for having a connection with the earth and the ground, which we, in, in an economy where everyone works and can't give a shit about anything. Cause it's like, we're in survival mode. Um, and then they don't own their land. It's easy to like, not give a shit Mm -hmm. about it or not be able to engage with it and it would be nice if i don't know just like the problem of like working all the time and not having the time to like do these things that create a sustainable world and like how the fuck do we opt out how do we opt out of this economy like it's not working for us right and like okay maybe like 
you know, do I cut back from 50 hours a week to 40, from 40 to 30? And then I do something else with that time that is beneficial and more engaging with my community and the world and making it better. Um, or, you know, like, I'm, I'm just going to go live off the grid. Well, I, just... I think I think it's less your responsibility and, like, people in, like, I'm making, like, 40 grand before taxes and that's mm. like an incredible amount of money to me and probably is to like a lot of people probably most people that's like an incredible amount of money and I feel very lucky and privileged but there's people who make even more money and they're the ones who have the power to actually influence the people who have even more money yeah. and it rather than like having it be like um a top-down thing you know where the people who have the time to buy like metal straws and have time to go to the farmer's market and have resources to make all these things like individualized um, single use things that are to get rid of those things. Rather than that, you know, I think our time as people who are in like the middle and lower should spend time trying to advocate to those who have the ability oh, to Oh, okay, change. I gotcha. Okay. Yeah. To say, like, hey, we need help, and, like, you doing tiny things isn't going to help, and us doing tiny things isn't going to help, but you can talk to somebody who can talk to somebody who can talk to Jeff Bezos and say, hey, maybe that you should give us some of your trillions of dollars to, like, make the world a little bit better. Yeah. Or maybe you don't need to make, like, $3.8 billion in a single day. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just always, like... I, I'm more or less like an indentured servant because I have debt and most of it is medical and I have ongoing medical costs because we have like medical issues in this country and I have a chronic illness. So like, um, if, if healthcare wasn't so exorbitantly expensive, I wouldn't have to work 50 Mm -hmm. hours a week, right? Like I could actually work 30 and then spend that other time doing something else. And I think that's a lot of people is like, we are indentured servants. And Mm -hmm. so we are incapable of directly affecting change. So I think you're right that we do need to, this is where, you know, you get into that dangerous, like socialism (laughs) word, but like where it's like, yeah, I am, I'm really incapable of doing anything on the streets because I'm just trying to survive. But if we were able to have a, a society where we had, you know, quality primary education and medical care, um, it would really liberate people to affect more change directly. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, whatever, it's, it's just all our own faults. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Anything else, like any daily things that we should be thinking about in terms of sustainability, um, like, cause I just don't know, like, wh- where do I learn about shit and who do I write? Who do I vote for? Um, okay. So where I get the majority of my knowledge is, um, partly the internet, but mostly like books that I get from the thrift store. Okay. Um, so there's this amazing series of books called the like home encyclopedia Noah's gonna kill me because we have like 20 copies of this <laughs> um it's like the it, so it's like the at home encyclopedia of crafts basically and there's all, all these different like craft books and there's books from like the 70s that's like um getting to commune with nature and learn how to do all these things but then there's also like more recent things like on the internet about um urban homesteading which I oh, think is a little a lot okay. more applicable so like 
learning how to there's this really great book that I got um from I think it was like changing hands or something like that and it was about how to use um scraps that you buy from the grocery store to regrow food okay um which I've been doing to marginal success I have some celery that's been growing that I got from the grocery store that I'm regrowing and it's the most flavorful thing I've ever had in my life um so there but like just bit by bit understanding that it's going to take time but if you put the effort into like learning individual things um that uh, over time you'll you know amass more things so like you don't have to feel like you're going to start from zero to living off grid in you know yeah. rural Idaho type of thing that's not going to happen overnight um and it doesn't have to so if you're if it's something that you're interested where you're like oh I think that I'd like to learn how to make soap then there's tons of information about how to make soap and really it only costs I think I spent like like 10 20 dollars altogether for enough soap to last me for like a year um I always come at it for like the economical perspective so like I learned how to brew kombucha because when I quit drinking when I would crave alcohol I would drink kombucha and so I it's pricey and then it's like 25 cents a gallon to brew at home yeah um even cheaper if you steal sugar from your work and um and so like that's how I came at it and I also I use cloth napkins at home Mm -hmm. aka bandanas or as uh my friend Sarah calls them food towels um and that came just out of cheapness Mm -hmm. where I was like I'm not going to buy napkins that's the stupidest thing in the world to me I'm not doing it and I got into using menstrual sponges, which are super green, and I, I think they're good for your pussy yeah. health. But or like, you, or you can make your own out of old t-shirts and some towels. Okay. So you would just need so like let's say that you have an old towel that you're not like great about wanting to use on your face anymore. So you just cut that up and some old t-shirts, sew them together with like some Velcro or some snaps. Um, and then you have like menstrual pads for the year and it saves you a ton of money because yeah. it saves you let's say ten dollars a month so 120 dollars a year is a big deal for all of your menstrual life like right. and so um that's i'm always i'm like yeah uh it's the same reason why like i say i keep kosher when i was trying to date jews but like really it's just because i'm vegan so it's <laughs> by default yeah so like the things that i do that are green are usually like what's the money saving option yeah and go with what you're interested in so like if you have absolutely no desire to learn how to like ferment your own yogurt then like don't bother trying to do that yeah um let somebody else like build that connection with your neighbor and see what they're interested in what they know how to do I will say that like if you're super daunted by the idea of like oh great now I have to like go out and buy a sewing machine there's tons of sewing machines that people get rid of at thrift stores or a lot of local libraries will have sewing machines that you can um rent okay that's interesting I didn't know that yeah Libraries are super cool and you should be glad that your tax money is going there because you can also get a lot of, most of the libraries that are in um, the Valley have seed libraries, so you can get seeds for free if you're interested and like the seeds themselves um, are one of the more expensive things because you have to buy a lot of them to get started Mm -hmm. Um, because soil is super cheap. You can get pots um, for free, for free. 
um, or if you have access to land, you can just plant straight in the ground. Um, and then there's like different workarounds to making sure the crops go grow well. So like um, one thing, <laughs> I don't know a ton about gardening, but I know that if the leaves start turning yellow, that means they're low on nitrogen and um, coffee has nitrogen in it. Oh. So you can just water, you can just put the coffee grounds in the planters and then they get their nitrogen. Okay. So it's, it's little things. If you were wanting to do like individual difference things, I'd say like if you wanted to make more of a difference, then that's going to take like incremental societal changes that we don't have a lot of time to do but there there are things <laughs> that was that's gonna be my next question by the way yeah uh, is if do, do you think we're gonna turn it around um personally no I don't I don't think that there's going to be enough people caring who have the ability to to change things because everybody wants to be like really rooting for capitalism to the very end like it's gonna turn around guys we just have to keep working it's the only one that we know yeah we have <laughs> to figure out uh like a, w a way to make money yeah off of this if we can't make money then what are we doing yeah <laughs> who needs a planet if you can't buy things from that planet yeah <laughs> yeah you know uh um, so yeah, personally, I'm skeptical that there's going to be a lot of change, but that doesn't mean that you should like just give up and not do anything. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of politicians now who are kind of throwing their hat in the ring and, and, you know, seem like they want to care. Like, um, AOC seems to be at the forefront of things. Um, and I know that a lot of people who are like in the freshman camp of politicians are really interested in it, um, preserving our planet there's um another there's a young man that i follow his name's elijah something on instagram um and he's only like 20 something years old but he's running for president <laughs> and he's um he's a socialist and i love him um so maybe if we still have um elijah manley shout out to elijah manley, elijah manley. he's right. wonderful um you could try voting for him. <laughs> Maybe in another 20 years, if we still have a planet, then he can, you know, be elected. Um, but I, I'd say research, start small. Research who is on your city council, because Tempe City Council is full of selfish assholes who would rather give State Farm like millions of dollars to like buy build a building and then abandon it to the highest bidder and then just like peace out um and that's a lot of what's happening with like the luxury apartments that we don't need um and could be used for different things so start small and figure out who your city council is if you have the time and energy and know-how um and finances to be quite honest to run for city council then that's an option um otherwise you know, hold them accountable and then have that work up. So like the city council moves on to like our state legislator and then our state legislator into our um, federal representatives. And then from there, you know, the, the more people you convince, then it starts a chain reaction. Um, a lot of the things that could have made a real difference should have happened like 15 years ago. But, um, you know, if, if we try then that then we can say that we tried yeah <laughs> you can feel a little bit more at ease with yourself if yeah you at least give it a go we're gonna die eventually anyway so you know you, you, you 
might as well say that you did something good with the life that you had. Yeah, I think that's important just in general. Uh, I'm sure Rob Love would have a lot of things to say about karma. Um, uh, because, yeah, I just, I mean, for me, I, I have to go to bed with myself every night. Mm-hmm. So it's important to me to live a life where I respect myself. Mm-hmm. Um, because, yeah, I, I hate that culture where it's like, this is unrelated, but people are like, I'm just a trash person. I'm just a garbage oh, person. Yeah. And like that sort of whatever mentality that is, that meme where it's like, yeah. and, and people will post things like, oh, you know, I did this or I did that or I, I you know, ate this or whatever that was bad for them or bad for others. And then it's just like, let's just like laugh about being a garbage mm-hmm. person. I'm like... I try every day to be like a better person. I'm not all, I don't always succeed, you Mm -hmm. know, but like, at least I feel like I'm in the game. Yeah. Um, Or like, you know, so I also struggle with a lot of mental health issues and along that same vein, I see a lot of people are like, oh, I have depression or anxiety or I have, you know, such and such disorder. Therefore, like I shouldn't be held accountable or I should be exempt from making, you know, meaningful change. And it's just like, that is such a toxic mentality. Yeah. Like, oh my God. I just... I feel like it's um, it's very self-centered mm-hmm. because I I always say um, t- number one I make mental health mental and physical health my priority and it's why I don't have a lot of emotional energy left for other things like having a family yeah um, but because I think the best thing you can do for the world around you is take care of yourself mm-hmm. and like take care of your mental health and so rather than succumb to it and be like this is my set of restraints and I'm giving up like just fight it yeah like for me keeping my head out of the oven is a full-time job yeah um but i feel like it's worthwhile of my energy instead of being a shitty friend daughter whatever shitty person Mm -hmm. because like that leaves more destruction in your wake and so um yeah yeah, i don't know or people who are like more focused on themselves in like terms of self-care like oh I don't have the you know that's too depressing that's too like low vibration I don't want to have to focus on that type of thing like taking care of your environment is also self-care yeah I don't because it's fake self-care yeah being like I drank a bottle of wine and took a bath and ate a pizza because that's self-care and I'm like no self-care is working hard to create a life for yourself Mm -hmm. that is like I'm all about the long con yeah and so a lot of fake self-care is like immediate self-interest yeah so when when I teach um workshops so I guess I should just say what I do yeah let's (laughs) just say what you do for a living we're an hour and a half in yeah you know might as well okay so I'm a social worker I work at this amazing agency called Fresh Start Women's Foundation um if you are a person who identifies as a woman and you are 18 years or older you are more welcome more than welcome to come and utilize our services. Um, So I teach a lot of personal development workshops and I'll often say there's um, two different types of self-care. There's the the one that is like immediate results, like dopamine hit, I'm going to drink a bottle of wine in the bath and then I'm going to eat some cake and get my nails done. And like those are good for the short term, but then there's long-term self-care where it's like paying your bills, exercising so that you don't have a heart attack. Or if we're talking about like preserving the planet, making sure that you're putting the work in to make sure that you have a self to live Um, because if we don't have a planet then there's really no point to you drinking that bottle of wine yeah Um, 
Um, so that's something really important too. It's just I, when I'm trying to to convince people, um, and I do this um, ashamedly, but also not ashamedly. When I try and convert people to veganism and like join my um, veggie cult, um, I often use a bunch of different tactics because if you just try and talk to to the person with the thing that you care about like oh all these animals like they're being slaughtered and they're in terrible conditions the person you're talking to could not give less of a shit about that and Mm -hmm. so they're just going to close off right away but if you start talking to them about how eating vegan is better for your body and you're less likely to get cholesterol and heart attacks and stuff like that maybe they're super into like vanity or like their physical health and stuff and then they start thinking oh that sounds like something I could get behind and it's the same thing with ecology like going back to um, what we were saying earlier about you know making sure that the that you're if you're trying to get people to do individual changes then you need to meet them where they are and like put it in a way that is going to be appealing to them so if it makes you feel physically ill but it if it works to convince a senator that it's going to be fiscally in their interest to um do things to help save the planet then you know that might be the way that you go about it so it's just like hey senator this is going to make you money then they're going to say like oh okay i care suddenly yeah yeah you have to i mean basically cater to your audience yeah if you're trying to sell like that's like a perfect sale that's how sales tactics work Mm -hmm. it's like you have to figure out the person's like motivations um like i don't know i had nothing to say after that but then i did like a thing like i was gonna say more and i didn't um so i this is maybe we'll do um an episode that is more related to how uh you what you do for a living because i i am interested um in like so basically i'm sorry what did you say that you help people um who like what's I don't want to say life coach but you help people yeah so okay so a lot of people when they think social worker they have a really specific idea in their head of what I do some people think I'm like some martyr and like going out and like feeding the homeless or whatever and then some people think I'm just here to steal their children which no thanks I don't want them um and then some people you know think I'm just going to like yell at them at the DES office and tell them why they can't have food stamps um what I do instead is I help women um reach the goals that they've identified for themselves through a series of action steps either in the agency that we have or um, outside based on resources and information I have so a lot of the women come in for jobs sometimes it's domestic violence you don't have to have any sort of particular um, reason for coming into the agency itself for me you have to have some sort of goal that you're working for because that's just the way we're we're goal focused Um, but the the agency itself is more focused on having women Um, or people who identify as women, um, reaching their potential and being able to influence the community in a positive way. So basically helping them become the version of themselves they want to be. Yeah, exactly. Because it's hard. Like, being a person is hard. It's really hard. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't even have an idea of where they want to be. But then, you know, if you do have an idea of, okay, here's where I'm at. This is where I want to be. That can even be worse than Mm -hmm. having no goal because then – how the fuck do you get there? And like, it can feel overwhelming to do it on your own. Yeah. So what you're doing is saying, okay, 
this is where you're at. This is where you want to be. I can help you come up with a game plan and mm-hmm. enact the steps to yeah. get there. So we use what's called SMART goals. It stands for um, specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and then time bound. Um, and there's scientific evidence um, suggesting that this is uh, more, um, more. Well, what should I? It's a, it's a better way to make sure that you're actually obtaining your goals. Um, so making sure that you, rather than saying, I just want to get healthy, because mm-hmm. that can mean anything to you and you can change it as time goes on. Um, you could say, I'm going to go to the gym um, three times a week and making sure that three times a week is something that's obtainable to you rather than like, oh, I'm going to go every single day. Well, sometimes you your car breaks down or like you're tired or you know maybe you work 40, 50 hours a week and that's just not something that you're able to do um, or you can't afford to go to the gym that like period so you know changing the way that you structure your goals to make sure that you're keeping yourself accountable mm-hmm. um, and that's a really good way if we're like bringing things back to like sustainability you know if you feel pressured or if you want to do things on an individual level like you don't have to go from zero to 60 you can just make tiny incremental changes until you get to a level where you're like ready to make your own food and like sew your own clothes and things like that um, and so the and in 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 planning out your attaining your goals this way, it helps to prevent becoming defeated or yeah. overwhelmed and quitting. Because yeah. I think that's what stands between anybody and accomplishing what they want to is um, not knowing the steps to get there and not having a realistic understanding of okay, based on my circumstances, is it realistic? Like, I. I want to lose 50 pounds mm-hmm. and then like a month goes by and you've lost three pounds and you're like, well, who fucking cares? Yeah. You know? And like going, okay, well let's assess all of the obstacles in your way and what the dynamics of your life are like. Mm-hmm. And so like, okay, like it's not realistic to be cooking all of your meals or meal prepping every meal, but mm-hmm. like maybe we can plan out like, you know, uh, we're going to, I'm going to make, you know, X number of meals a week from like real plant sources and not manufactured or mm-hmm. like, you know, uh, being like, oh, I want to buy less stuff. And then being like, okay, let, let's do a write up of like what stuff I actually need right. and what stuff I don't need and then stick to the need list. And like, um, I, that was something we talked about on the pregnancy episode with Darlene is like her trying to like build her son, show him a life of what it actually looks like to be a healthy person mm-hmm. because like she didn't have a stable life and so sometimes like yeah you just need to see it like planned out and modeled for you like what does it what does like living ethically look like Mm -hmm. what does living sustainably look like right um instead of like uh we're all gonna die which (laughs) is probably yeah eventually yeah yeah (laughs) um cool well um i don't know can i welcome people to follow you on instagram sure i'm well my my thing is private right now oh so don't 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 follow me. You don't need to follow me. I just post a lot of depressing shit anyways, and I'm dealing with a lot of codependency issues that I, like, broadcast quite often. So. I love it. <laughs> um, but if, if you want to come visit me at Fresh Start Women's Foundation, if you are a woman or a person who identifies as a woman, um, it's on 1130 East McDowell Road. Um, we're open Monday through Saturday. And we have a whole bunch of different things like computer classes. And um, you can book a social work appointment with me if that's something that's in your goals. Um, 
we have um, scholarships and um, support groups and a whole bunch of really wonderful things, and I'd love to meet you. Well, awesome. Um, everyone, I hope this was fun for you. If not, I hope it was ASMR-y for you. That's always my my goal where like sometimes I will find myself I'm not even paying attention to a podcast, but I find it like good background noise. I'm mm-hmm. like, dude, just subscribe and download because it's good for my ratings. And um, <laughs> even if you don't really care about the topic, maybe it's fun to have my voice in the background. Uh, I know a woman who uh, her sister was having a baby and she listened to the episode the whole time. They were kind of redoing the house to get it ready for, to have a baby there. Mm-hmm. And so she's like, it's just really fun to think that you're the background voice of this like interesting stage of my life. Yeah. And I'm like, thank you. That's you don't really have to listen or care about anything. But if you know, just just welcome me into your heart and your home. Yeah. Um, and if you have money, you can Venmo it to me or you can buy merch and uh, merch. So yeah. um, because uh, it really helps. Uh, I, two months in a row, I sold enough merch to pay the web hosting fees. Congratulations. So, thank you, thank you. Uh, you know, it's just one one day, one day will be a, it'll be like a sustainable show, and that'll yeah. be great. Um, all right, well, happy Hump Day, everyone. 